Welcome to this week's episode of Voices in Hyperspace. Today we are going to be talking about episode 9, Death Walk of Babylon 5. Um, today we have Mel and Sunday. Hi! Hey! So, um, this one, this was a really interesting... So, let me let me kind of go this direction. Season 1 is a lot of different things happening, right? There are the so far we've seen um a few different mysteries with some of the main characters, but they're encountering like some pretty serious and pretty uh heavy issues. And this is this is kind of it. Uh what's going on with this episode. For those who are familiar with Babylon 5, the series really picks up at the end of season 1. And here we are, probably close to the middle. And it's uh, these are not the best episodes, but they're they're still very interesting. So here we are, episode nine. Um, I would like to get your initial re- reactions to this episode. I was shocked at the beating that that woman took at the beginning of the episode. It was. It was feeling um, a little on the side of real for me. And I'm like, are they really about to, like, murder somebody? This is crazy. It was kind of crazy. The perspective that they took on uh, who should care about this individual um, being such a heinous criminal, like, in general. Like, uh, I was kind of shocked with the, the species who was like, well, she ain't had nothing to do with us. Despite the fact that you know she would have killed you if she could have. <laughs> oh. Yeah, that was the whole flaw. And then the and the conversation between um Ambassador uh what's his name in the the suit, in the bio suit. Oh, Ambassador Kosh. Kosh, yeah, with the, the Android type dude. Uh, that was interesting. Cause I didn't I know I didn't get it when I first saw it as a kid, obviously. But now I kind of understand what they were talking about i don't know why that was supposed to bring out like her greatest fear which was really sneaky of them but (laughs) the whole conversation that they were having when i watched it the second time i i suspected the first time uh, they were going they were uh, it was a back and forth with uh, subjective versus objective everything Mm. they said was something that was objective fact and a subjective fact and that was each phrase each of them took turns doing both a subjective and objective um, fact which basically is what you do when you debate things when it has to do with um capitalism Ooh, okay that's that's where i went with that but it didn't even have to do with that it was a psych (laughs) well i guess if you think i thought they were setting her up at the end of the episode, Garibaldi says as much. But mm-hmm. if you if you think about it, what you're saying, subjective versus objective fact. Um, if you think about the overall theme of the episode, there there um, there is the larger debate of taking someone who is a mass murderer, who is a career mass murderer, trying to who attempts to commit genocide. And everyone wants justice from this person, but then they suddenly have something that could be valuable to all of the different species. And suddenly it's like, oh, well, let's um, let's negotiate. You know, suddenly, Mm -hmm. suddenly (laughs) justice is on the back burner and we want 
we want immortality, you know? Mm-hmm. And so you have these different debates. Uh, and we'll get into it a little bit more, but the the what points towards the debate the most is Earth government's um, involvement. They're like, yeah, we know this person is a mass murderer, but we want the scientific discovery and we want it at mm. all costs. And, uh, and you know, the rest of the rest of the galaxy can wait for their justice. We want our product, you know? Right. Yeah. I'm not sure. Like who thinks that immortality, especially for like a lot of people would be a good idea. I know my mind went to, of course, only the few of the few were going to be able to take advantage of that, right? They put some kind of price tag on it that would be so exploitive that only a few people could have it. But the way the the scientist, you know, mass murderer lady was talking was that, you know, everybody's going to have it. Excuse me. And if nobody ever dies, like what is that going to do to the resources of the planets that all of these species inhabit? Right. And she knew she was like giving them this, um, by giving them this as a like last resort to destroy them. Right. right. Yeah. That was wow. her purpose. Her, her whole purpose. Like she was pure evil to the bitter end. Her, her purpose was like, yeah, when I die, I'm going to make sure that y'all turn into us. You you call us monsters? Well, you're going to be monsters, too. They were already ready to, like, sacrifice justice for immortality, something that they, they're not ready for. I mean, um, they mentioned that before. Um, what's her name? Uh, the second in command. Ivanova. She said that oh, yeah. Ivanova, like, even if humans live for 200 years, it's still humans. They go mess yeah. up. And uh, I, I think at that point we were saying, like, this is probably J. Michael Straczynski, given his uh, his perspective, his point of view. Humans are going to be humans. 100 years, 200 years, forever. There's always going to be conflict. And I think that, well, of course, that was the purpose that Jador was aiming for like, hey, we're gonna take advantage of your, uh, like your proclivity to be in conflict. But outside of that, you have like she's exploiting the the greed of some of these different species too. So like the Centauri, they were like, hey, we weren't really involved with this. Uh, they didn't attack us, so we're not going to vote for justice. Um, that's what um, Ambassador Malari said. And then uh, Ambassador Jakar, he was like, oh, you know, we will we'll definitely vote yes, but we got to make sure that that trial is happening on our planet. We need her in our custody. Mm-hmm. And that's because that's because uh, he was originally the, the reason that she is even on that station is because he had arranged to make a deal with her. And then just to kind of get us back to the beginning of the episode, do y'all remember how she arrived to the station? She was on a regular transport, right? She was and on she a Minbari. Like, she was on a Minbari transport. And dressed like a Minbari. Yeah. So she just had her hands in everybody's stuff. Yep. <laughs> She's playing everybody already. Like it just amplified as soon as she got beat up. 
Yep. And they found out what she had and who she was. Yep. Which um her presence just caused chaos. <laughs> yes. Which let's uh I mean we need to keep track of this somehow, but this is another mark on the top is about that life. <laughs> oh, because sure, it for was sure. on site. She was like, "Oh, oh, I know you." <laughs> she was about ready to send them to, you know, her. What to do Jakar. they call? What is? She? Yeah, she was ready to fight him. Like, no, I got business to handle. I know you know what it is. Are you about to really try to get in my way? He's like, "No, I'm not." <laughs> Be easy. Oh, that was good. I liked it very much. And this is more of Jakar's villainous arc. Uh, which, I mean, okay, let's take a moment and assess Jakar because he, the last couple of episodes, you got to see a little bit more of, I guess, some range from that character, but he's kind of back in the whole, like, scheming mode where he's trying to do some backdoor deals to help Narn. Uh, he's, he he has this bargain with this uh, genocidal maniac and she did a lot of her experiments on narn right Mm -hmm. so he's like you know what what she discovered is actually going to help us so we're gonna we're gonna bargain with her so with that in mind like what are what are y'all's overall now knowing what you know about jakar up to this point what is your perspective of what who he is what he's doing yeah he's just a typical politician Mm, you know really setting aside like your morals and ethics in order to advance um, whatever your political and career goals are. Yeah. It's very ego driven. Like he can do kind things. Yeah. He could, I mean, you can do kind things for ego, but that's because the ego needs to be seen a certain way. But if he could do something where, um, you're not going to see that he's doing it for the, uh, where it's not going to be seen as bad. Uh, he'll go behind, the, he'll go and do it behind closed doors and, and keep it from people. So in the surface, he very much looked like he's, he's doing things for the right reason. And so is, um, what's his name? Sinclair. Like you kind of feel where his heart is, but at the same time, he will be sneaky and do what he wants to do or even just give into what, Earth forces want for the sake of appearance. It just seems to be more of his personal ego when it comes to. <laughs> well, no, it's both for their jobs. I think it's for their job. Their ego is their job. Yeah, with uh, with Jakar, he's desperate, right? Um, we don't get to see much of it, but from the way that they are being portrayed, the Narn have been really like reduced as a species in the galaxy um it turned it, you know they're like mercenaries they are smugglers jakar is doing a lot of illegal stuff but the whole point is to gain power for the narn regime and uh to build them back up as a as a threatening power part of it one is to get back at the centauri but two like they're trying to reclaim like their former glory. And a lot has happened to them. Um, mm-hmm. There are no more Narn tele- telepaths. They don't have the, the power and the strength that they used to. And he's doing whatever he can to, to gain some sort of advantage. With Sinclair, 
it is interesting because we we got to explore his PTSD from the war. Humans were reduced, right? So mm-hmm. humans were um, are pretty much in a similar boat, but humans weren't were not treated as poorly or as bad as the Narn. Uh, the Narn were slaves to the Centauri. The humans were just closely yeah. wiped out. <laughs> and it makes me wonder, like, okay, so did humans quickly, like, reproduce and replenish? I mean, the war the war was 10 years ago, and it seems like it didn't take that long, <laughs> you know? But, um, but it did traumatize a lot of people. And yeah. humans still feel very um, sore about it, and and in this case, uh, Sinclair he's he's following orders, and it makes me wonder like, okay, he's following orders. Is this because he thinks he's doing the right thing by following orders? And of course, he doesn't. He thinks that uh, the bar the deal with Earth Force trying to get custody of Jador and her um, discovery. He, he clearly thinks like, hey, there's something wrong here, right? But mm-hmm. he has to follow orders. And so I guess the question is, is he following orders because he thinks it's the right thing to do? Or is he following orders to maintain his position because maybe he feels like I can actually do some good here. And if I lose this position, then we will end up going to war. So, And like you said, he still has that PTSD. And as a soldier, you survive by following orders yeah. majority of the time. So it may be that, like, he has a, a internal fear that we don't see mm. of just, I, I need to do this. And then how much power does he have to go against Earth Force outside of losing his job? It's like, oh, what other things can they do to him? Yeah. We're getting a clearer picture of what type of government Earth Force is, because they seem to just interrupt <laughs> all of Sinclair's uh, attempts to do his job. They just stuck him there. Like, he's not actually in charge. They are. Yeah, he's like a puppet figurehead, right? That's probably why they put someone who's a military person and not a diplomat. Because why is he in charge of all the diplomats if he has, if he's just military? Like, I've never seen, and now that I think about that, I've never seen that in anything else. Like, you don't put a military person in charge of something that's not military. Well, except I mean, for you know, like George Washington being president of the United States. <laughs> I'm not going to tangent. Oh. Yeah, well, he sucked. Any, he sucked at his job until. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, yeah. You put a military person there because they're going to follow orders, which is what happened when uh, Senator Hidoshi. Called him, he's like, hey, look, I don't care what you're doing, send her here. <laughs> like, forget justice and all that stuff, due process. Look, make sure she gets to Earth because she has something that we really want. And then, like, okay, let's put some let's put some of these breadcrumbs together. So uh Senator Hadoshi is interrupting Sinclair. In the in previous episodes, we saw how Psychor is taking um they are take they're they're going against like their com I guess their charter or their commitment and they are endorsing a specific um presidential candidate. Um it's a, it's some shady things happening because I guess um still in the background of all of this is is an election. So 
there's some shady stuff happening on Earth Force that we as an audience are only getting glimpses of, and the uh, the characters in Babylon Five are just kind of aware of. So, read the newspaper. <laughs> yeah, reading a newspaper in space. What the heck? Oh my god. Uh, oh man, I guess I got to make a comment about this too. I don't know if we've seen what the offices look like very much, but I think some of the um, so they they've shown some of like the office supplies and stuff, and they show I guess the the their version of futuristic offices they have like the clear paper like the overhead projector paper <laughs> and i'm like that's that would be impossible to read i think star trek figured it out by having tablets um, yeah we got tablets now yeah sometimes these have, some sometimes these shows they take a shot in the dark and they're wrong and that's cool yeah we'll 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 roll with it yeah i think the only time they use paper and stuff is like it out of hobby like <laughs> yeah this is what they used to use look feel it <laughs> <laughs> can you feel the sensation the fibers on your skin can you because <laughs> uh uh I'm, yeah we're on a whole star trek tangent but picard picard had physical books that he would take with him places yeah but his his hobby was um anthropology yeah he would have um oh. he would have tools and, and all mm-hmm. that stuff which i mean Imagine like a future where, hey, this is what I'm going to do on vacation. I'm going to go on um, an archaeological dig for fun. So anyway, one of the other storylines that's going on is Ambassador Kosh hires Talia Winters for a business interaction. And this is um, one of the more bizarre uh, stories that are happening pretty much throughout the whole series. Kosh... Hires her, she she objects, but then he's like, you know what? All arrangements have been made. You're in the clear. And when they do meet up, they meet up with a guy named Abbott. He has this weird looking hat. And when they having their conversation to the uh, to the outside observer, they're just speaking gibberish. Uh, one thing that I thought was kind of interesting was when Talia was asked to scan his brain. And she was like, yeah, there's nothing there. And both of them were like, good. Like, Kosh and Abbott were like, good. And, now, you know, after seeing the episode, it made me think like, oh, they're making sure <laughs> they're making sure that the that the cassette tape is blank. Oh, that's what it was. Yeah. I don't know if that's true, but that's the dumb thing that popped in my mind about that. But, yeah, if you compare what um, Gar- Garibaldi said. It's like an old school cassette tape. Yeah. Um. Yeah. They they were recording data. Is his brain just a recorder? Because I mean, he has to function. He walks around and stuff. There has to be like something making him do that. Process the alcohol he drinks. <laughs> right. Well, <laughs> having the other conversations, um, I just was like nervous when he they were talking in codes and riddles. She challenged them about it. They, you know, just gave more codes and riddles. And then one sentence that he said, like, put her into that. Mm, yeah, she started seeing like, that vision. Of her in the room with the mirrors and stuff. I thought that they were going to do something to her. I was nervous. So when Talia's in this whole scenario, granted, you said that you felt 
nervous Sunday. I wanted to know what's your overall perspective of Talia and her role on the station thus far? I like having her around uh, when she comes to do the mind readings and things. Um, I'm all for making sure that everybody's thoughts are pure and organic, uh, especially the episode where um, her friend, he had been used in the military in order to, well, they tried to use him, but then he went like super Saiyan like or something. Yeah. A son. yeah, but I like them very much. What about you, Mel? I found it, it kind of struck me when they said that um, I was going to, he's going to pay her to do it. And then like, he basically paid her to like, find out what her weakness is. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> one, he paid her to find out her weakness. And two, she gets paid like significantly and has like status for something that she has no choice over. She automatically has a job based on something that she has no choice about. Yeah. And I guess you could say like, well, I mean, she could choose not to and take the medicine and just be a husk of a person, but right. yeah, <laughs> I guess you could say Psychor like, is a way for earth government to keep telepaths under their thumb. And mm-hmm. in Psychor, of course we, you know, we, we, we said this in previous episodes, they're basically the Earth space Nazis. They're the thought police and they love it. Well, at least Bester and um, his uh, assistant who got vaporized. <laughs> they, they love that they are the thought police. Um, they love showing off how powerful their um, telepathy is, all of that. And so you got space Nazis and she has no choice but to work for the space Nazis. And um, mm-hmm. I'm just going to throw this out there. Her job is to oversee business transactions. For people who know where I'm going with that, I'm going to just stop it right there. We can have that conversation um, maybe in the future when we do one of our, one of our lives. I do want to sp- want to do a live where we can uh, explore the different space Nazis from different series because apparently that's a very popular trope in sci-fi. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I totally get it. But man, do we put a lot of Nazis in space in our fiction? And I think it goes back to that whole original pulp fiction sci-fi where it's a reflection of if we meet other people from outer space, if we meet aliens, um are they going to treat them are they going to treat us um us meaning the the authors who got the chance to write these things uh, the same way their people treated other others when they met them yeah because most of the people writing these came from cultures who basically just took over when they saw someone different so then they write all these stories about people who just take over when they see someone different and that's a huge thing and i guess it's also the time period like not even just in sci-fi but in like dramas and i don't know what else people watch there's always that whole idea. Everyone wants to make the the, the villain, the Nazis, the villains. Like right. when I was in high school or, and after that, it was always the Middle East that was the villains. Mm, <laughs> yeah, there's yep. that time period. Like we're going to, this is what people are going to see as the villains. So that's what we're going to make as the villains now. Yeah, that post nine eleven era was really dark. And then, yeah. 
was every, insane. You kept seeing Arabs being villains. Like, why? Yeah. And, and it's like, and, you, and if you know Muslims and Arabs in real life, they're like, this is wild because we're not like this. <laughs> right. Uh, and, and I wanted to make another comment. Um, the thing about like xenophobia and these, um, these stories about conflict with the alien and stuff like that, we always hear like, well, it's human nature to hate what's different. That is not true. No, it's um, not true. Human nature, the history of humans is to, oh, we, you're new, you're different, let's figure you out. How can we learn from you? How can we learn about you? How can we help each other? There, I think, um, you know, there were examples of people who sought conquest uh, throughout history, but mainly, um, you know, going from the Greeks, the Romans, and then to like the Europeans, the European empires, that's when xenophobia became like, hey, you're different because you're going against the power that we hold, therefore you're bad, you know? Yeah. And so, like, and in, in while that was going on in the Americas, indigenous cultures were, you know, granted there were conflicts, but they were trying to find ways to cooperate and coexist. Yeah. Um, so, it's not human nature, it's just an aspect of what can be done when you concentrate power. And I'm going to, you know, get off the soapbox there. But to say to say that hating what's different is human nature is a misunderstanding and a underestimation of what humans are capable of. I think fear is human nature. It's natural to fear things. It's natural to attack things that we do fear. But when you know that other people aren't necessarily a threat to you, or it could just be what they see as a threat, especially mm-hmm. since this show has a lot to do with uh, capitalism and a lot of what uh, a lot of xenophobia, xenophobia that happened in world history has to do with um, power over resources so that I can have capital. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So and you don't find that too much in other cultures who didn't just conquer each other. Like they have to actually have issues with each other. Yeah. And it's also, uh, and I keep bringing this up for some reason, probably because I'm obsessed. But in, <laughs> uh, when it comes to some people that's in power, uh, a lot of them are sociopaths and narcissists. Yep. And it's natural to, <laughs> they get scared and threatened when you don't see them the way they think you should see them. Yeah. So if, uh, say, Europeans come to uh, the Americas and uh, the people there is like treat you like you're just another person, they get pissed off. Yep. They're like, how dare you not bow to me? Like, <laughs> why aren't you in all of my existence? <laughs> or how dare you be the people that you are and walk around naked? Don't you know that's evil? <laughs> right. And why don't you know my God? You must right. be evil. <laughs> like, <laughs> Oh, you don't have a soul. Uh, (laughs) because you're not like me you're trying to be like me i can only accept people who are under me if they trying to wish at me or try to be like me like uh, and when you do that to somebody like that they can't stand it that's their kryptonite and they they throw a fit and start fighting whether it's verbally or physically Uh so uh wait what I wanted to get in on here is there is there is a discussion to be had. 
some parallels of real life uh, along with this. What it reminded me of is uh, Operation Paperclip, where you have uh, the Nazi war criminals from World War II that should have gone on trial, right? Um, If if, if America was on the up and up and was, you know, really about the values that they claim, um, those Nazi scientists and those Nazi business people and military people, they would have gone on trial, would have been executed. But no, they were like, hey, in secret, we really dig what you were doing. So why don't you come work for us? Why don't you come work for bad boy? <laughs> and then we wonder why there are like neo-Nazis here today. Like, right. oh, you brought them over here. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so I I just couldn't I couldn't help but um but make the parallel. And, and again, this is probably J. Michael Straczynski just pulling from uh his, you know, his uh, childhood and upbringing, seeing, you know, these Nazis. Well, I don't know how it is, but, you know, knowing that Nazis were brought into government agencies like the DOD, NASA, and all of that stuff. Um, and America was like, yeah, we're cool. We're cool with what you did. Because even though we fought a whole war against y'all, you know, we won. Cool. We don't have to murder all of you. So we're just going to use you. And kudos for liking the stuff that we were doing to the natives and trying to you trying to, to apply it in Europe. So right. they, they gave these guys jobs and awards. <laughs> and um that's what's happening with Jador. She so so a minute ago, so how I said, like, you know, we like to put Nazis in space. She's she's straight up a space Nazi. When you see her her uh uniform, when they finally bring her uniform out. It looks like a sci-fi Nazi uniform, <laughs> even more than what the Psycor were wearing. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, she was totally looking like a, what is the one with the octopus and the legs? Hydra. Um, oh, Hydra. Yeah, hell. Hydra. <laughs> and um, she and and the focus is her incredible scientific discovery, which is she was able to synthesize this serum that can grant immortality to its user. And of course, all the um, council governments were interested in this. This is, I don't know, look, I don't remember all of the different uh, scientific advances from Nazis during World War II, but I'm pretty sure America's perspective was like, we're going to take all of your smart people and make them work for us. Um, and all of, all of their scientific discoveries are going to be ours now, which have y'all read about what the Nazis were doing for research? Like they were doing a lot of nonsense. They were doing stuff that was useless. It was cruel and it was pointless. They were doing things that like, like why would, why would you think that this is a thing? Right. I'm not going to get too, too much into it. A lot of what they were doing involved children in a very uncomfortable and unsettling way. So I'm not going to talk too much about it. But America was like, yeah, hey, that research is cool. Let's take notes. <laughs> yeah, a lot of um, what I learned about the history of autism came from that, too. Oh, yeah. Yep. Which was just terrifying. And people adapt that. Like, the whole, the first autism movement we have adapted the same ideas. Like, just undercover. And it was like, um, y'all just integrated 
it into y'all y'all you you it's like um in a video game when you make a kill and you um loot yeah <laughs> that's yeah. what they thought they were doing like y'all us y'all won't the only ones in this fight too and we weren't even technically in the fight where we i'm like we just jump on in there let's, right. let's see if we fight we, too. we took credit we took credit yeah like <laughs> Yeah. As soon as you try to jump in there, we get attacked. Like, yeah. They couldn't be more like Japan and just be ashamed of themselves and be like, yeah, we we fucked up. Sorry. Like, well, well, hold on, hold on, hold on. German, Germany is ashamed. Well, for the most part, the government of Germany is ashamed. The government, yeah. Um, there are some Germans and some other Europeans who are like, no, nah, we should do that again. And America, America was like the blueprint for what they were doing. Um, uh-huh. The genocide against the natives here, the uh, the racial discrimination against uh, black people, indigenous people, people of color here, like all of that stuff. Germany was taking notes. Was like, hey, yeah, that's cool. We should definitely do that here. And mm-hmm. and America's like, no, don't do that because <laughs> they like, want to be the ones to right. do it. That's why they went in <laughs> just like you're a smartest scientist. Come on, we got them now because we yeah. want. <laughs> right so so yeah um, all right we're gonna stop that for now (laughs) go back to the story (laughs) yeah (laughs) it is the story though yeah it is space like yeah and uh so jador basically we got um earth forces like bring jador home to us we're gonna use her sinclair doesn't feel comfortable about it uh they did talk about the war with um oh what are they called the Delgar, the war with the Delgar. Um, it sounds like it happened like several decades, you know, prior yeah, to this episode. 30 years. Yeah. It was 30 years ago. And the Delgar were basically wiped out because of their, because of their atrocities and what they were trying to do. Um, they, said, and, they also mentioned their um, star going supernova. Oh yeah. Okay. Okay. Thank you. I, I wonder if someone made it go supernova. <laughs> I wouldn't. I wouldn't. This will come up one day. <laughs> it's the one Star Trek com- uh, crossover that makes sense. Uh, the Vulcans did it. No, um, that is a Star Trek 2009 joke. If anybody cares, <laughs> yeah, horrible, horrible reference there. Uh, <laughs> please don't give us poor ratings for that bad joke. But, um, but she's famous. Uh, Jodor is famous with pretty much all of the council. Uh, species and when they confront Sinclair they're all together like hey we know who that is that you have in custody and we demanded you give her over to us and who who is leading this pack which this is <laughs> this is funny because uh, Nita's not here but uh, it's the lady that y'all called the fish lady <laughs> yeah I noticed that Okay, so that is uh, that is Abai. She's a matri- matriarchate. Um, I don't know what her species is. Uh, let me see. Yeah, I don't know what her species is, but um, but uh, oh no, wait, wait, wait. Her species is Abai, and her okay. name is Malika, which I like that name. She can be a Malika. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty name. <laughs> yeah. Kualamazari, Malika Kualamazari, but um, so she's 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 making some more appearances in this uh, series. That's cool. She's so the fish lady with the fin, 
she's the one that Sinclair kind of scared into, uh, you know, she, yeah, he scared her, but to help the her as a, uh, yeah, they used her as a pawn, like bait. Yeah. Yeah. For the, for the earth first they guy. used to fish girls bait <laughs> dang that's the end of this half high guy okay all right sorry someone had to say it right i wasn't even thinking of that that's that's terrible <laughs> but uh we get to see more of her um she's she's kind of leading the pack of the non-aligned world's members uh they're like we need we they they all want to have delgar i'm sorry um Jador in custody because they're like she needs to be put on trial for her crimes and they correctly do not trust earth force to do such a thing um, and a lot of that is because um sinclair is keeping you know tied to the vest that earth force that she made a discovery in earth force wants it so then you know while they're trying to escort her out they're like no nah, we we about to vote on this now he's like all right which i think sinclair is kind of happy about that too he he did he really doesn't want to give her to over to Earth custody, so he's like, yeah, let's do this diplomacy this diplomacy stuff to see see what they say, you know, see if we can get some leverage. Mm-hmm. Then, of course, all of the usual players are present. Which, um, for some reason, Delenn is not in this episode. And considering what's happened in the last couple of episodes, I'm suspicious. Like, what's she up to? Like, who's she murdering now? I guess um I guess we can feel a sigh of relief for Sinclair because she's not going to kill him. But well, at least not yet. Yeah. At least not yet. He 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 does they had to call her back for a briefing after what had happened to him. Right. And remember we it, it is revealed that she's a member of the Great Council. So she's on Great Council business, but in her place is uh Lanier. So when they're about to vote, uh like I said before, Ambassador Malari is like, we have no quarrel with her. She didn't attack, you know, the Dilgar didn't attack us. She didn't do nothing to us. So we're going to vote no. Sinclair is like, yeah, I vote for a trial. Jakar, he first says yes. Uh, as I said, as long as they, as long as the Narn get custody. And Lanier sitting there, this is what, this is another thing that makes me, not feel so great about the Mimbari. He was like, we really don't have a right to judge her. And I'm like, what do you even mean by that? Because, <laughs> because the Dilgar are known for murdering millions of people, right? The humans, mm-hmm. when they started the Earth Mimbari War, killed one guy. And then Mimbari wanted to commit genocide after that. Mm-hmm. So... Are they empathizing with someone who is a genocidal maniac? Is that the Minbari position? Because, like, they went to war with Earth over one person with knowing that there's a whole other planet behind that person. If you go against this lady, she's by herself. Yeah. Like, no one's real unless they know that other people are fighting over what she has. But remember, they could know more than they're getting all that they. I don't know. But remember, but, she spent a good chunk of her life on Minbar. Right. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. He did mention that they they were trying to like 
overthrow what they did by, even though, you know, putting her to trial would actually, you know, erase all that. It would just make all that go away <laughs> if she goes away. Right. If she goes, it, it she's, seems- if she's found guilty and, and, uh, and it's like, if the Minbari were really, see, see that I'm getting such mixed feelings about the Minbari. Cause it's like, if they were really this, um, grounded and uh, they act like it yeah they're, they're so because even sinclair and, and said they're so they're wise and what he say wise yeah yeah he he trusts in the wisdom of the of the minbari and i also question londo like even though he is very self-centered and most of his culture is mm-hmm. they like having allies so why ally with that one chica that everybody wants to kill when you could have just put her on trial and made friends with all these other nations? I don't think they thought that through, but That's a good I, don't, point. I don't know what they were thinking. Yeah. Well, like you literally could have just made friends by having her go on trial. Again, it's Operation Paperclip. They're, they're trying to get their hands on her scientific advancements, even if they don't know about the immort- immortality serum. <laughs> <laughs> Even if they don't know about that, they are like, well, what else did she make? Did she make some weapons? Did she make some vehicles? Like, what what she got? You know, right? Which I guess is pretty obvious because her reputation says that she created a lot of stuff. She just yeah. knows stuff. She yeah. Ambassador Kosh abstains because Vorlons are assholes, and so <laughs> it's literally just Sinclair's like, yeah, let's put him on trial, and everybody else is like, no. So. Sinclair, he's like, okay, let's take another approach. He basically reveals to um, to to uh, Kalika. He, he reveals to Kalika that, all right, so here's the deal. This is why Earth Force wants her. She She's made this serum that's going to impact the whole galaxy. It's going to make people immortal. Earth Force is ready to use their scientists to, 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 to make this and research it. How about y'all create an alliance of... Uh, what a coalition of scientists that will help assist to create and distribute. And uh, Kalika's like, you know what? Okay, that sounds reasonable. But as soon as that, as soon as we get this done, we need to put her on trial. And Sinclair's like, yes, bet, got you. So they have a deal, and they're all gonna um, they're gonna escort her to Earth. And basically, Sinclair was able to come to a peaceful resolution. Uh, to prevent what um, Jador revealed was her objective, which is because the, because the the key ingredient can be synthesized, we you know you're basically going to become us by murdering each other to live forever, right? Um, so he came to a peaceful resolution. They're escorting her out. All of the species that wanted to murder her earlier, they're like, okay, we'll wait. So as she's being transported out in a Minbari transport ship again, right? Headed to mm-hmm. headed to the jump gate to Earth. What happens? A Vorlon ship comes out of hyperspace and blasts it, murder, you know, kills her. Ambassador mm-hmm. Kosh is there to witness it. This dude, he wakes up, he show, he walks down, he's like, yeah, let's watch this. He don't come out for nothing. Because he's like, what y'all gonna do? <laughs> like, what y'all, what? <laughs> What <laughs> were those his people that killed her? Uh-huh. Yeah, it was uh, uh, the I wasn't sure like what the alien species was. I was like, who did that? I was, it was kind of cliffhanger for me. 
Yeah. When Sinclair Sinclair turns and looks directly at Kosh, he looks kind of mad too. He's like, man, I did all this work and you assholes shot shot her. (laughs) And he's like, we were very close to peace and then you 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 asshats come and shoot her. He's like, well, y'all ain't ready for immortality. And then he just walks off. Man, what? Oh, <laughs> no, no, no. I guess it didn't matter to him because they, they, they're so much more powerful than anybody else. They're the actual wise ones, even though they're being, they playing the same games as everybody else, kind of technically. But I mean, I would think Sinclair would be kind of grateful because he didn't want her anyway. No, well, he didn't want and, her. He. He really didn't want her in Earth custody. And, you know, they, um, it was kind of like, I guess you would say like the space race or kind of like the nuclear proliferation where you Mm -hmm. have this discovery and everybody's trying to get their hands on it. And so um, Earth Force, again, the proxy for America, they're, they're bringing the Nazis home so they can get that good, good nuclear proliferation going. The rest of the world had come to an agreement like, yes, we will work together. And and, and, um, and U.S. is like, nah, we want to be the big bads so we can blow you up just in case. Because we've done it before and believe we'll do it again. But, um, I mean, I guess you could say it is a relief. On the one hand, it's a relief for the universe because, you you know, we don't have a an all-out war uh, against other species because that's exactly what would happen, right? If Earth Force synthesized the serum, they would pick one species that they would just use as the uh, source for this ingredient, right? Mm-hmm. And who knows? If if I were to bet on it, it would probably be the Mimbari. If the or they not, would use other humans, uh, of course, yeah. And then, you know, there would be a civil war. I, I guarantee you Psychor would have their hands on it and they would start sacrificing other humans so they could have immortal uh, telepaths. If the Narin got their hands on it, it would be the Centauri and vice versa. And so, so I mean, that's an easy thing to predict, right? So I guess you could say, hey, it's a good thing that she's gone and her discovery is gone because y'all would have definitely tore up the galaxy for this thing. And so we have the resolution to that story. And then we kind of get a resolution to the Talia Winters story. Um, When I first saw this, I was very kind of like, I don't get it. But after seeing the whole series and then seeing this, I'm like, Ambassador Kosh was really thinking ahead, huh? Uh -huh. Because like, they don't really reveal, like Kosh doesn't reveal what he got. Not really. Uh, and he doesn't reveal why. He just says, you know, I got all these emotions. And thank you. But Garibaldi, he explains like, yeah, the Vorlons are very leery of telepaths. So he's got something. He got all these emotions from you because he set you up. He's probably going to use this against you later. And on the one hand, it's like, okay, what kind of beef do Vorlons have with telepaths, especially human telepaths? And why Talia Winters? So that's a good, that's, that to me is the big question. Why Talia Winters? At least she has, oh, go ahead. No, you finish. You got it. 
she has a lot to do with all of the politics that goes on because the politics is mostly driven by uh, capitalism and she's the mediator for it. Like if, if for some reason they needed a way to get into her brain to get more information on some of the major conflicts or or interactions on Babylon 5, she mm-hmm. is the portal. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> she's the mainframe. Because all that data is not going to be together, but in her head. That's the only place where all that data is going to be stored together. All the data yeah, that's not going to be important enough to write down. Super Saiyan 2. Say that again. And they're going <laughs> to manipulate her and turn her into a Super Saiyan 2. Something like that. No and considering <laughs> considering the guy that she was at, the guy with the hat, he was like, oh, I'm a 25. And like, but wasn't the, the, the guy who went Super Saiyan like a little bit over a 12? He, and she didn't bat an eye over that? Like, well, or was he joking? No, he was, okay, so he was a little over the, oh God, what I forgot his name now, but the guy that they turned into a Super... Like Marcus or something. Yeah, he, he was... He was over a 12, but that was what they got him to when they manipulated his DNA and his abilities. But he kept mutating. He kept mm-hmm. getting stronger and stronger. Um, for Abbott, he's a, he said, oh, I'm a solid 25, which maybe he was joking. Maybe he wasn't. <laughs> but the thing is, she couldn't read him at all. So she has no clue. She has no clue if he has powers. If he doesn't have powers, what what his capabilities are? Because it seems like telepaths can sense each other's like power levels, right? <clears throat> so, and so maybe she thought he was joking, but at the same time, she can't read him either. Like the reaction she had was like, "Okay, let's do this," but she didn't get freaked out until it's like, "I don't know what y'all talking about," <laughs> right? Yeah. Like she should have been freaked out longer before, much longer than than way before that. Right, and I mean she 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 did come across as very nervous when Kosh uh, approached her for the job. He does she doesn't seem to like to want to be around Kosh at all. Hmm. So she can't read him either. Yeah, she can't read him. She doesn't like being around him. She doesn't like working for him. And then this one job, she gets uh, some trauma reawakened in her. And and that was, I mean, of course, now we know, but like that whole sequence was just about her. Uh, mm-hmm. that, so it was a setup. And so there is a reason that Kosh is leery of her. And that's something that viewers need to take note of and put in your back pocket for later in the season, in the series, because... <laughs> Because well, again, bread on that Easter egg. be careful. You know, these are strings what are we, that are tying together. Are we together. making pasta? What are we doing here? Making space <laughs> pasta. And one thing that, that distracted me the most about those scenes had nothing to do with the scene. That actor's voice, like, what is he in? Like, I could not, I guess he does voice acting. I, I don't to. recognize his face. But his voice, I recognize, and it sounded like something you would hear in like a '90s cartoon. Yeah, that's what I was. That's what I was thinking. And I could not find him online for some reason. All right, his name is. I would have to. Kasi Costa, and I know nothing of him. Hold on, y'all keep talking. I'm gonna see what I can. Yeah. 
Because, <laughs> because you know, they they always put like the uh, the guest stars and uh, stuff like that. Um, yeah, I looked up episode nine, season one, and then uh, I see a list of like guest stars. But then at the same time, some of the stars that they had on there didn't become stars until after they were on that show. So he may have just been some random. He's been in a lot of different things. Uh, he was in Walker, Texas Ranger, Babylon Five, Life Goes On, The Fantastic Journey, The Streets of oh. San Francisco, Ten to Midnight, Remo Williams. Oh my God, yo, y'all, <laughs> <laughs> that movie. Uh, that's a diamond in the rough, and it's rough. Missing in Action Two. I think that's a Chuck Norris movie. Survival mm-hmm. Run, Kidnap, Body Chemistry 3, Thank God It's Friday. He's in a lot of stuff. But, uh, he had to be because like, his voice was just so familiar to me. Yeah, he, yeah <laughs> he, does, he does sound like a cartoon voice actor. And I bet mm-hmm. he probably is in some of those. But we can, pro- we can like dig into that a little bit more later. So, yeah. <clears throat> so the um, episode ends with Garibaldi and Sinclair just kind of have a discussion about like what does all this stuff means and I and I thought it was really a good way to wrap up all of these um the different themes and it it's Sinclair just questioning the moves of people in power he's he's like you know when is it going to end or is, or is it always going to be like this continually con- con- uh, continually Excuse me. Okay. Continually putting politics before morality, expedience before justice. And that is like the state of world politics right now. Like, hey, yeah, we're going to destroy the ecosystem. We're going to destroy the environment. But hey, we need more oil. We need we need to make money off of this oil. Yeah, these people are evil and and they've done some horrible things, but they need to help us make more money, right? You know, it's right. you know, as much as um, Western liberalism talks about justice, law and order, it's only to the convenience of the people in power, and that's right. being demonstrated in this episode. So, it's it, it does it does a it does a good. Um, job doing the sci-fi thing making you question things question humanity question morality and the politics that surround all of that um again to me not the best episode but i think it did wrap up pretty nicely uh any final thoughts from you two? Oh, what you just said about um sinclair's question reminded me of the um nk james jimerson's book um emergency skin where like all um, supremacy leaves the planet because the planet has been destroyed as it is in most sci-fi, post-apocalyptic sci-fi. And then they come back like a couple of hundred years later to find out what the people they left behind was able to do with the planet. It just reminded me of that. Like, what would happen to, to humanity or the, the sentient beings if they didn't just simply use power as their um, means of doing everything? power and control oh you want to see what cooperation looks like yeah idea. and she does a really really cool job of like um painting a picture of someone coming from 
the supremacy planet and seeing all of the progress that was made and wondering how they was able to make all the progress and stuff. And they're like, well, we didn't charge people for education. Like, if, <laughs> if people want to learn stuff, we let them learn stuff. If people had, um, had uh, like, ideas that would fix issues, we went about doing it, and we fixed the issues. Like, they're like, what but they, did, they, they didn't look like us. And they're like, what's what that got to know? do with fixing the planet? Like, yeah, it was funny. <laughs> <laughs> it was funny, but it was deep, too. Oh man, that's gonna have to go into the reading list. That's awesome. It's it's short too. It's not that long. Oh nice. Okay. It, it was like an hour listen. Yeah. Oh sweet. Okay. Yeah, that's going on the list. Any final thoughts, Sunday? Uh, complete. All right. Well, um, I think um, we had a lot of fun discussing this one, but. Once again, lots of space Nazis. And uh, this is not the end of space Nazis. So pretty much Babylon 5 is a an epic war story, a space epic, uh, what they call it, space opera. So mm-hmm. we will see more, uh, what they call permutations of the space Nazi thing uh, coming in the future. We're halfway through ep- uh, season one, y'all. We're about, to, yeah, we're about at a halfway mark. And... Um, I'm sorry that Nita was a, was uh, unable to make this one, but we are going to be make efforts to have her back on soon, hopefully. But in the meantime, thank you all for joining us with this episode of Voices in Hyperspace. We'll see y'all next time. And uh, yeah, wherever you find us, especially if you're on YouTube, like, follow, comment, subscribe, all of that stuff. Uh, engage with us because we want to continue our discussions with you outside of these two outside of these recordings and we just want to have fun so so again thank you for joining us i'm legendary black lion i'm mel asylum this is sunday bye